I'm glad you guys are here uh, this morning. I um, hope that you are, will be excited as I am uh, to start a new series of messages this morning uh, with me that I believe will take us into um, the beginning of the summer. And um, we're calling it Worthy, Understanding Worship. We're going to spend a few weeks talking about the thing that we say we do every Sunday when we come together. And um, I want us to just begin from the very beginning with Psalm 29, verse 2. It says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Um, I think that the word worship could be one of the words that we use the most in church, but truly understand the least. The word that we use the most, but maybe understand the least. Um, think about how many times on a typical Sunday or when you're talking about church, you use the word worship. Um, where are we sitting? The worship center, right? We'll call it the worship center. Um, what are you in right now? What are we having? A worship service. Uh, at the beginning of the, the worship service, we do a song, and lots of times that's called a call to worship uh if we used to print them in the bulletin but we don't anymore for 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 good reason but when you see the list of songs and tells you what you're going to sing we call that the order of worship we call the guys up here and the musicians the worship band uh we we have a choir that is leading us in worship dan is our worship leader and we are singing what kind of music Worship music. So this is, this is a pretty uh, common word that we use quite a bit to describe what we're talking about when we say we're coming to church and we say what we're going to be doing. But if I were to ask you what you've come here to do, you would probably say, I've come, I come to church to worship. But everyone may mean something different when they say that. You may, you may mean and have in your mind a particular thing when you say, I've come to worship this morning. But what you and I mean when we say that phrase, what you and I mean when we use that word worship is vitally important because it will determine what we do when we come into this place. And what we, what we think when we say we've come to worship will determine what we do, whether it's correct or incorrect. There is a correct worship, and then there's an incorrect worship. And when our understanding of worship is incorrect, then our attempt to worship God will be incorrect. And what happens when our attempt to worship is incorrect? That means God isn't really worshipped. Now, what a tragedy would it be for God's people to come together in the name of worship under the banner of worship, to say that we've come to worship, but because we have incorrect understanding, we didn't actually worship at all. And I'm afraid that that, that happens sometimes. Not in this church, but maybe in lots of churches. And I believe that that happens individually sometimes. You may come in and out of here believing that you've worshipped, when maybe the reality is you haven't. And so we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about understanding what it is. We're going to talk about what worship is, 
what worship isn't. Um, we're going to challenge some of our ideas that we have about worship, about how we worship. And I, I hope, my prayer is that we will deepen our understanding of worship and then apply that understanding so that it will deepen the value of the worship that we bring to God. So I want to start this morning as sort of an introduction, and I want us to just focus on two basic principles um, that, that will seem very elementary to you, um, but maybe, maybe not so much to others. As I say, worship is something that we say a lot and we talk about a lot, but maybe we don't really stop to think about a lot. Um, in 1958, the Green Bay Packers went 1-10. They were the worst team in the NFL in 1958. In 1959, a guy named Vince Lombardi was hired as the head coach for the Green Bay Packers. And they had a couple of winning seasons under Lombardi, but in his second season, he came in um, 1959, 1960, and they improved. Um, but in 1960, they made it to the championship, and they played the Philadelphia Eagles, and they lost in the championship game. This was pre-Super Bowl. They lost the championship, the NFL championship game, 17 to 13 to the Philadelphia Eagles. This was two years into Vince Lombardi's position as head coach. So the 1961 season began, and Vince Lombardi, the story is that he walked into the locker room of the Green Bay Packers the first day the team met together for practice with a football in his hand. And he walked into the locker room, and he held the ball out, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And this was the beginning of, this is how he started the 1961 season, taking his team back to the fundamentals of what football was. And it, by the end of the 1961 season, they beat the New York Giants and won the championship. Won their first championship in 1961. And from that time forward, Vince Lombardi never lost a playoff game. For the rest of his coaching career. So the things that I want to share with you this morning may feel like I'm holding a football out to you saying this is a football. But I think it will help us as we move forward. So two big points this morning. Here's the first one. Worship begins with God. Not with us. Okay. This is a football. Worship begins with God, not with us. God is the center of all things. Amen? God is the center of everything. And his worthiness demands that he be worshipped. See, part of the struggle that we may have, even in, in understanding this basic of a concept, is that we live in a world that constantly tries to convince us that everything begins with us. That we are the center of everything. 
So I hate to tell you, but you're not. You're not the center of everything. I'm not the center of everything. We are not the center of all things. Jesus is. Worship is something, the worship of God is essential. It has to happen simply because of the character of who God is. God must be worshipped. It's, it, it, it's demanded from his character. I want us to look in Revelation chapter 4. So I want you to understand that worship, because worship has to happen, it's something that transcends you and I. We can't believe that the worship of God starts with us. Because it doesn't. I want us to look in Revelation chapter 4. I want you to read with me. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, it will be on the screen. This is part of the picture when John the Apostle saw uh, the revelation and he's writing it down. This is the picture of the throne room of God that he sees. In Revelation 4, starting in verse 2, he says, Immediately I was in the Spirit and there was a throne in heaven and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had, the, had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. This is a picture this, of what John saw and even John's ability to describe what he saw transcends his own language. I mean, we, we read that and these creatures and the glory of what he saw coming from the, thr the throne was so, was so huge. Like this was the best way he could describe it. I believe it was something that you and I have never ever seen or experienced before and the best way that John put this together 
is, is the best way we, our minds can conceive it, but what he saw was so much greater than that. And this is the picture of heaven. What are they doing here? They're only doing one thing, and what is that? Worshiping. The throne room of heaven is full of worship. Heaven is full of worship. And guess what? That worship started a long time before you. And it started a long time before me. And it's going to continue. It will continue forever. And the worship of God will continue forever whether or not you and I join in or not. Worship of God does not begin with you and I. It is the inhabitants of heaven is engaging in worship. And this worship of God is what's going on in the presence of God right now. It's eternal. These creatures are praising and worshiping God. And these are the words that they're saying. This is, this is how heaven is worshiping. So heaven is full of worship. So it transcends us. But also, there's another aspect of worship that transcends us, the worship of God. Look at Psalm 148. There's two Psalms we're going to look at, Psalm 148 and Psalm 19. Psalm 148 says this, beginning in verse 3. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He set them in position forever and ever. He gave an order that will never pass away. And then look over at Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out what? Speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. So not only is the realm of heaven where God dwells full of worship constantly and has been for eternity, from the moment God spoke anything into creation, worship began. Worship didn't begin when, when the first people, with Adam and Eve. Worship began from the very moment that God acted in creation. The Bible says that all of creation is worshiping God. When we open our eyes and we look around at everything that we can see, the glory of creation is testifying to the glory of God. The sounds of it. The sound of when you go to the beach and you watch the ocean and you hear those, those waves crashing into the ocean, they're worshiping. When you, when you walk outside and you hear the birds and you, and, and you can feel the wind blow through your hair, that, that is creation worshiping God. When you go out and look up into the night sky and you see billions of stars and, and, and then know that there are billions upon billions that you will never, ever see. Those are all proclaiming the glory of God. And it says they pour out speech, and it says that they communicate knowledge. 
So that tells us something, that God has fashioned even creation, the, the inanimate creation that, that doesn't have a soul, that doesn't have a will, but he's fashioned it so that it communicates knowledge to those of us who are made in his image to be able to look around and see it and gain knowledge of who he is simply by looking at what he's made. So not only is heaven worshiping God while we are here in this room, all the earth and all the, the universe and the space and space and the sun and the moon and all of those things, the, the, I think about the fiery fury of the sun and what that communicates about the nature of God and how that proclaims the glory of God. Like that's the greatest, brightest light that we'll ever know, right? But, but the light that comes from the Father is greater than that. And we think about heaven and being, you know, I, I don't, don't believe in the new heaven and the new earth. There'll even be a need for a son. Because he will be here and his light is brighter than that. Everything that we see testifies to the glory of God. So the first thing we need to, just basic principle, this is a football that we need to understand, is that worship doesn't start with you and I. The worship of God is demanded because of who he is and his very creation that he has put into place even before you and I ever came into existence, worship started. Okay? So here's the second point. Our, our greatest purpose is to worship God alone. Our greatest purpose. You say, wow, Eric, that's kind of a big statement, isn't it? Yep, it is. You say, what is, you know, when people ask that question, what are we here for? Like, why did God create us? Let's think about it. What's happening in heaven? What's happening on earth? Worship. So it makes sense that we, as part of God's creation, yet made in his image, that our purpose would be consistent with the purpose of all the other things that he created. Their purpose is to glorify God. What did it say in, in Psalm 19? They pour out speech night after night and they communicate knowledge. Unlike the stars and space and the earth and creation, God's given us a mouth to speak and to communicate knowledge about who he is. And so it makes sense that our primary purpose as created people made in the image of God is to glorify him with not just our mouth, but with our lives. So the earth is made for the glory of God. The heavens are full of the glory of God. So should we, as part of creation, be full of the proclamation of the glory of God. God demands that we worship him. Now some people may hear that and think, well, that's, that sounds like God just has a big head. <laughs> but it doesn't. 
because God is worthy of that worship. When we say God is, is worthy of worship, and we use that word worthy a lot, right? And, I, and we, I've kind of titled this series Worthy because I want you to think about that word. Just look at the word worthy and think about it. What, what's the root word of the word worthy? Worth, right? So when we are saying that something is worthy, when we say that God is worthy of our worship, we're saying something about what God is worth. Because that's what the word worthy means. We're talking about the worth of God. And because God is worthy of worship, that means that he is worth more than everything else we could possibly give our worship to. There's nothing else higher than him. There's nothing greater than him. His worth is at the top. So if we were created, our primary purpose is to worship God because his character demands that he be worshiped, then why do some people not worship God? Well, because sin messed everything up. Uh, Romans chapter 1 tells us this. Look at chapter 1 beginning in verse 20. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. Isn't that what we just said? God has created all things to reflect his glory, to, to communicate who he is. And I love verse 20 because it says his invisible attributes have been clearly seen. <laughs> so even in creation, what God was doing was he, he took the things that we couldn't see about him and he made them visible in creation. And it says being understood through what he has made. So we can look at what he's made and understand something about the worth of God. Okay? As a result, people are without excuse. There's no one in the end who will be able to say, I, I couldn't see it. There's no one in the end that will be able to say, I didn't know. Verse 21. For though they knew God... Through what they could see in creation, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. So God has made all of creation to worship him. All of heaven worship him, worships him. He's made us to worship him, but because of sin, what is clearly seen 
The worth of God is clearly seen in everything, but because of sin, it says we saw it, we knew it, verse 21, for they, though they knew God, they did not glorify him or show gratitude. So it wasn't that we didn't see it. We saw it, but we didn't respond. And what we did was we took the glory that belonged to him that we saw and we attributed it not to the one who created all things, but we took his glory and put it on the things he created rather than who the creator was. And so the, the writer of Romans says, we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, reptiles, and you think, you're thinking about idols. And that's true. But what other created things have we given God's glory to what other things has, has, has God made that we have become so fascinated with that we have taken the glory that we are created to ascribe to him and we've put it on these created things that he's made? That's because of sin. That's why the world doesn't worship God because they are worshiping the things that God has made rather than the one who made them. We've taken worship away from the one who is worthy, the only one who is worth worship, and we've given it to all manner of things that are not worthy of worship, that are not worth it. You ever spent your money on something that you thought was going to be worth it and then you figured out it wasn't? It was a piece of junk. <laughs> and you regretted giving what you could have, have kept to, to invest in something that was much better because you were so fascinated with this you thought this thing was going to be great and then you got it and it was trash that's what the world has done but most of the world hasn't figured out that, that they've put all their worth in these trash unworthy things so go back to that psalm that we quoted at the very beginning, Psalm 29, verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The psalmist here says that glory is due the name of God, that he deserves, he is worth it, so give it to him. Ascribe it to him. Don't ascribe it to all of these other things. All these other things that we truly worship without saying that we worship them. And this is something I want us to understand too this morning. That God is showing his love for us by calling us to worship him. It, it could sound like, if we're not careful and we don't really understand, it could sound like God is just on his throne. This egotistical sovereign saying worship me 
just because he has this insatiable appetite to, to have us glorify him for, for his own ego. But that, that's even misunderstanding the nature of who God is. God is actually showing his love to us by calling us to worship him. Um, most, even, most remember and have even heard of Muhammad Ali. And we know what Muhammad Ali said about himself, right? He said, I am the greatest. And the reason Ali said that he was the greatest was one, because he was convinced it was true. And number two, he was calling the entire boxing world, the entire sports world, to respond to him as if that were true. Ali said, I'm the greatest, one, because he really believed he was the greatest, and two, because he told us he was the greatest, because he wanted us to respond to him. He wanted everybody to respond to him as if he was the greatest, and for a time, he absolutely was, wasn't he? In the boxing world, there was nobody better than him. Here's, here's something, a, a, a phrase you can write down that I want you to remember. God could not be more certain of his own glory and worthiness. If Muhammad Ali can stand in front of the world and proclaim that he's the greatest boxer that ever lived and be sure of it, God could not be more certain of his own glory and worthiness. When God calls us to worship him, it's not so that he can be convinced that it's true. He doesn't need to be convinced of his own glory. He doesn't need to be convinced by us of how great he is. He knows it already. And he knows that there is nothing greater that we could worship. The most loving thing God can do is call people that he created to invest their lives in glorifying the most valuable and worthy thing that they can. And guess what that is? Him. God is actually showing great love to us when he says, give all of your worship to me. You know why? Because he's showing us how not to waste any of it. Because there is no one greater there is nothing more worthy. There is nothing worth it. No one who is worth more than him. Do you see that? Thank you. There's no one greater than him. And so when he says, worship me, give all of the glory to me, he's not feeding his ego. He's telling us the truth. He's showing us who he really is, and he's revealing himself to us. So when we give him our worship, we are echoing his greatness along with the rest of creation. Creation is worshiping him. The earth, the heavens, everything. The physical world, the invisible world, the, 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 the spiritual world, all of it is worshiping him. 
And when we worship him, we are echoing and worshiping along with everything else that already knows that there's no one worthy of worship other than him. And so he's bringing us into unity with everything that he's made. We are made to worship. And if we are not giving our worship to God, we're giving it to someone or something that is far less worthy. When God made us in his image, he programmed us for worship. And if we think about it, we know that it's true. You were made to worship. The question will be, what or whom are you worshiping? Because you were designed for it. You were made for it. That is your greatest purpose. I want to show you a quote in conclusion. I want to show you a quote by Louis Giglio this morning that I thought was so great. Louis said, God is not an egotist seeking more than he deserves from us. Rather, he is God choosing in worship to reward us with himself. You may say, God demands to be worshipped and he wants us to worship him. Well, what do I get out of it? You get him. What are you looking for that's greater than him? What are you looking for that's worth more? Do you think that your worship is going to result in some reward from God that's greater than him? So before we begin to understand in everything that we talk about worship for the next several weeks begins with these principles. God, as creator of all things, is greater than all created things. And his greatness makes him worthy of all worship. And because he is worthy of all worship, he has created us with the primary purpose of glorifying him in worship with our lives. And in creating us for worship and calling us to worship him alone, he is giving us the greatest reward and the greatest gift that he could possibly give us, and that is himself. He's letting us see the reality of who he is.